Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change. Today, we're talking with Officer Danielle Danny Woods. Danielle Woods is a Detroit native and 16-year veteran with the Detroit Police Department. She's currently assigned to the Chief's Neighborhood Liaison Unit, where she coordinates and oversees the operations of a citizen radio patrol. She recalls responding to a domestic violence disturbance in 2006 that was between two females who were romantically involved. Her male partner at the time made an offensive remark about the couple's sexual orientation. Woods was so upset that she approached her boss about the need for a community liaison officer for the LGBT community. She was appointed the Detroit Police Department's first LGBTQ liaison officer in 2013. She formulated the first LGBTQ advisory board committee under the appointment of Chief James E. Craig and is a driving force in the LGBTQ community in her efforts of bridging the gap between law enforcement and the community. Wood says her role as LGBTQ liaison is is to serve a bridge between the LGBT community and the police department, helping to build mutual trust, respect, and understanding between the two groups. She works closely with many gay organizations within the Detroit surrounding areas, including Equality Michigan, the Ruth Ellis Center, Affirmations, and LGBT Detroit. She serves on an LGBT advisory board whose goal is to advocate for the LGBTQ community and make sure their concerns are heard. Within the Detroit Police Department, Woods has been educating fellow officers on LGBTQ culture through mandatory sensitivity training, which includes an introduction to LGBTQ terminology, and a discussion of sexual orientation and gender identity issues. She also discusses the department's directive that holds officers accountable for mistreatment of the LGBTQ community. Officer Woods has not limited her career only to patrol calls. She became a field training officer while working at Detroit's 9th Precinct, offering her knowledge and experience to new officers as they joined the ranks, conducting undercover operations in the vice and narcotics units, performing administrative duties, and never ceasing to obtain training to enhance her duties and make herself a considerable asset to the Detroit community. She currently attends Oakland Community College, where she is pursuing a degree in business. Danny is an out and proud lesbian. She is married, and her wife is also a member of the Detroit Police Department. Danny, 
welcome to the show. We are so happy to have you. How are you doing today? Well, thank you for having me. Um, it's, a, it's an honor and a pleasure. I'm doing very, very well. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it's interesting, you know, we are, I mean, even now, I think that when people, when you put that box for little girls, you don't think, you know, police officer. I mean, you know, you see them being doctors, this and that. But And I think that, you know, your daughter in the line of duty, you know, when you were a little girl, were you the typical little girl who played and did everything, or were you ever seeing yourself as out there chasing the bad guys? Oh, wow. So as a little girl, um, I didn't really play with dolls, but I did set them up. All my dolls had their shoes. We know most dolls don't have their shoes when you talk about Barbie shoes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I Mm -hmm. would set them up in the house. Um, And my sister and I would mainly play school. I don't know what it was. We would set up our stuffed animals and... We would be the teachers, the assistants, the lunch ladies, and the voices for the students. We had a very broad imagination. Um, And as I grew older, I kind of found myself interested in hair and beauty. Um, You know, we're, we're all blessed with the talent. And mine is with my hands, very handy and creative. And um, I just have a natural uh, knack for hair, and so that actually was kind of my first job, uh, so to speak. I started it when I was seven, started doing hair when I was seven, you know, my cousins and little girls in the neighborhood and my own, and I must have been pretty good because I started getting paid for doing hair at the age of 12. And that just kind of became my thing, you know, even adventuring into um, the workforce as a teenager. It just never seemed to work out. So I just kind of stuck with doing hair, and it was very profitable for me. Mm -hmm. Um, But being a police officer was not on the radar, not even by a long shot. Um, I developed an interest in uh, mortuary science. And uh, after I graduated high school, uh, Dominican high school to be exact, in uh, May of 98, um, I uh, applied to Oakley University. And that was my major, mortuary science. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, you're a native Detroiter. I'm a native Detroiter. And the history has gotten better but for many, many years, the relationship of the African-American community and the police department was bumpy to be, to be kind, you know, mm-hmm. to, be, to say the nice. So when you, the time came and you started to take an interest in being uh, and the police officer, uh, what was the, what, the feedback you got from your community, from your neighbors? Um, well, I'll, I'll start actually with my family. I um, come from a military family. Um, my dad and his brothers, I have uh, one uncle since passed, but 14 uncles and one aunt, and um, most of them being military. So here I am, the first police officer. They were actually very proud of me. Um, 
of course, my mother was a little leery, you know, and my grandmother, oh, my goodness, her whole thing was, can you get an inside job? Do you think they'll Mm. give you an inside job? Why would you want to do that? You know, she wasn't um, against it, but she wasn't for it either. You know, she was happy for me to, you know, pursue such a career. But she was a little reluctant in um, supporting it when it came to what my job uh, uh, would actually entail. So um, after I graduated from the academy, um, you know, my parents and my family, they would brag on me a bit, and even my friends, you know, they were like, we can't believe you're a police officer. We just can't believe it. And I started very young. Mm. So being, I think I was 19, because I have, I'll have 17 years on in July. So um, I don't know. They, they, everybody was pretty supportive and pretty proud. Now, I'm going to tell you, you know, you are glamorous. I mean, and you bring it. I mean, <laughs> you, you, I mean, no, really, you beat the stereotypes. But I'll tell you, back in the day, I, I mean, the first thing that I would say is like, but those uniforms, you know. And right. you had, I mean, you did hair, you did all of this. Did did, and you know, and I know that there are other women who are out there, and there are a lot of roles set out. And on TV, you see glamorous roles, but actually, some of the time is spent in that uniform, in that car. How did that go with, you know, with, with this, this glamour part of you? I mean, did you like, okay, I can put this aside, or how did you bring that, that little special something that was you to the uniform? You know, or did just, you have to cut it out? <laughs> well, you know, I just kind of had to work it in. So because we are a paramilitary organization um, in the academy, Everybody just about looks the same. All the women, if you have long hair, it's off your face, off your neck, slick back some kind of way, um, no makeup, no lip gloss, no nothing, no mask, nothing, you know. And um, as my uh, training sergeant would say all the time for the men, I just want to see cue balls and eight balls. So if you were a white guy, you had a bald head. If you were a black guy, you had a bald head. Um, but after you graduate, you know, you and you tend to, you know, kind of fall into your own. And um, I didn't allow for the <laughs> uniform to wear me. I wore mm-hmm. the uniform. And so uh, it's always been a thing with me to stand out. You know, I've never wanted to be like everyone else. And although... Um, I have a blue family, and, you know, we are in essence one. Uh, There's still a little side of me that says, well, we can be one, but I'm just going to jazz my one up just a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Well, uh, you know, um, it sounds like to me that education was important to you because, like, you you talked about how you you did have, I mean, many people, I've known people who have been like, they were, that was their calling, to do hair, and they just sort of stayed in that and went in that. But then you went on to do, you know, you went to Oakland University uh, to to study mortuary science. You're back in school now. Mm -hmm. How important was education in your family? Um, it's it's very important, and to add to that, I'm kind of an overachiever, so uh, my cousins and I would often compete, you know, who had the highest grade point average, you know, who was doing the best in this class or that class, and that kind of uh, kept me grounded. 
But then also um, growing up on the east side of Detroit, you know, I didn't have the cookie-cutter childhood. Um, Mm -hmm. I often refer to myself as a gypsy kid because Mm -hmm. um, uh, during the early 80s, you know, with the drug epidemic going on, um, you know, both my parents got caught up in that web a little bit. And I would be with my mother or with my dad or grandma or aunt, you know, depending on who was stable enough. So, you know, um, seeing these things and being in certain environments, you know, I kind of determined at an early age that that wouldn't be me. Mm. And I had multiple opportunities to um, kind of become a – product of my environment, but, you know, kind of looked myself in the mirror one day and was like, you know what, I can't allow my circumstances to determine my future. So, you know, you have to push on, you have to press on, you know, um, and everywhere that uh, my sister and I stayed, you know, there was structure. So it wasn't as if uh, we were just wilding out and, you know, hanging out in the streets. You know, we were kids, you know, but uh, it was just something in us. It was just something Mm -hmm. in us to want more, to do more, to strive to have more. And so um, even being at Oakland for a little bit, you know, when I came back home, I started the police academy. And then even uh, being on this job this long, my dad and I were having a conversation a few years ago, and he says to me, Danny, how much time do you have before you can retire? <laughs> mm-hmm. And the the question kind of hit me because normally somebody will say, hey, how much time do you have on the job? And when you ask like that and you say, oh, 14 years, 15 years, it doesn't really, you know, it seems like a while, but it doesn't really put you in perspective of what's next. So when he asked me, how long do you have before you can retire, and I blurted out without hesitation, I said, about five more years. And I thought about it. I'm like, oh, my gosh, five more years and I can retire with a 20-year career with DPD. And I was young. Uh-huh. Like, I'll be, I'll be 39 with 20 years. Uh-huh. And I said, I, I have to be able to do something else because we know the government, <laughs> they keep uh-huh. moving that age up. So I'll be young enough where I'll still have to work. But... Um, you know, I want to be able to have a choice to do what I want, you know, to live out some dreams of my own. So, you know, my wife encouraged me, you know, and supported me, and I said, I'm going to get back in school. So that's kind of where I'm conducting my role as liaison and studying and doing a million things at once, but trying to handle it all without going insane. <laughs> Now, now, you know, I don't knock the east side because I'm from the east side. And, you know, and often people from who don't know, I mean, some people from in Detroit um, who might drive through. And, you know, we know that there are some neighborhoods that look like, you know, it's a war zone. And the things that you, that you have gone through, I mean, how important is it to you that you are there for that little Danny who's still on the east side, who might be recognizing that she's going from one home to another, but it's still, I mean, because it sounds like even though you went from one to another, you were still part of a family, mm-hmm. but that you weren't defined 
by that. How important is is it for you to to be that, for lack of a better word, a role model just by being who you are? Um, it's extremely important, you know, because we live in a society where uh, labels, you know, the only thing that matters are, are labels and, you know, the TV and the fast life and the high life. And for those who don't have the money to live that, you know, a lot of times they fake it or try to um, compare themselves to that. And you don't have to. You know, you, you can make do with what you have, and, and you can become great even in your circumstances. You know, there is no, um, there's nothing stopping you. And so I think for the little Danny that's out there, you know, um, if I could even talk to her, I would tell her, be strong. You know, everything is going to be okay. Just make sure that you do what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And by that, you know, take care of your siblings if you have them. You know, study hard because it, there's opportunities out here for you, and you can do it. You can do it. You can make it. Well, you know, I think that the other thing that I think that, that is, is so incredible about you and that some people would say, you know, even though we've come a long way as a community, I have met people who basically were like, well, you know, don't out me. You know, I have mm-hmm. to do that. But you're an African-American, you're a woman, mm-hmm. and you're openly gay. And and you're on the police department. And I know that some people would say, well, you know, in fact, I talked to someone who had retired from a, a different police department who said that basically she did not come out until – she was ready to retire. Mm-hmm. And here you are close to retirement, but you've been here in your career. But not only did you walk your truth, but in being in your truth, you recognize like that time when you're, you were listening to your, to your male partner and doing it that, you know, that you said to your department, we have to do better than this. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, and I know some people would go like, Wow, that's pretty nervy. You know, she spoke yeah. up and said that. What made you, I mean, what put that fire in your belly to be that person to walk up and say, you know, you know, Chief Craig, I need to talk to you. We need to do this. We need to do better. Well, you know what? He, he actually wasn't um, here yet. Um, uh-huh. But I've always been the type of person that, stands up for people. It's funny, my lieutenant and I were having a conversation the other day, and I said, it's so funny that half the battles that I fight are not even mine. Like, they have nothing to do with me. I've always had an issue with people that uh, ostracize other people or that count them out just because they're different or, you know, for whatever reason. You know, everybody should just be treated the same, you know, point blank, period, you know, now, there, there may be different circumstances, but that doesn't give you the right to uh, make someone feel less than. And I've, I've always been that person, even in elementary school, high school, you know, where uh, you would have the kid eating by themselves or, um, you know, they would call them the misfits or whatever. I would go over and befriend them. And all of a sudden now they're hanging with the cool kids. You know, I've just been that person who's always been kind of cool with everybody. And it just kind of gave those less than or um, not quite in the group um, an end. And then once you see that, oh, this is a person, it's not an it, 
It's not a thing. This is a person. And it, it's, it's crazy to me that you have to have uh, – even have to have those conversations to uh, tell people, you know, how to treat people. But um, it, in regards to um, my role as liaison, you know, I didn't know what I was trying to do myself. I just knew <laughs> that this wasn't right, you know. And mm-hmm. if this guy sat here and said that to me, I can only imagine what you say in the company of another guy or around someone else, you know, who you felt that you were super comfortable around. So, you know, my my approach to my boss at the time was, we need to have somebody for the gay community, you know, but I didn't know. I said somebody in community relations, just somebody so they can have a voice too because I didn't know what to call it. But, you know, some years passed and, you know, we had some administrative changes. But when Chief Craig came, I mean, that was one of his first orders of business. And he'll tell you, as he tells everyone, you know, when he was in L.A. and in Cincinnati, you know, he had liaisons and, Um, It was one of his first orders of business. I was the liaison, but I wasn't active, you know, by me being Uh an out lesbian and a police officer. You know, I'm I'm in the community, and people know me. Um, And so, you know, I was doing what I thought one would do, you know, but when he said, no, I want you to work out of my office, and I want you to just take it, take it till it can't go anymore, you know. Um, and he just kind of gave me this huge responsibility, and I had no blueprint. I had no one in front of me that was uh, that had already done this, and I was just kind of taking over. It was super grassroots. And so, you know, I got with a couple of the organizations, talked to some folks in the community. We drafted a directive, you know, that would hold officers accountable for mistreatment of uh, community members, be it their law enforcement or, you know, regular citizens. But we we at least got something in black and white. And then it's like, how do you put this information out here? How do you get officers to kind of right their wrongs and not – have these moments of bias-based policing, we have to train them. You know, we train for Uh everything else. Why not train them in, you know, LGBT sensitivity? So I developed a training, um, which is now Michigan certified, I'm proud to say, Um, but it's on uh, sensitivity, awareness, and competency, you know, to give insight into the culture and the terminology and some history and, you know, just a multitude of things. And it's an eight-hour block, you know, of training. And if you don't know about the community or you think you know, you'd be surprised at what you learn when you sit in this training. It's It's really something. And it's been effective, and a lot of people that have had it, you know, um, both citizens and law enforcement, they come up to me afterwards, and they're like, wow, thanks. You know, I didn't know that. Oh, you really brought insight to me. I had a lady tell me, you just taught me how to love my daughter mm. because her daughter mm. is, you know, LGBT. So it, it, it's coming along. I'm happy about the work we're doing. Um mm-hmm. But when I tell you the chief is very supportive and behind us, you know, you you couldn't ask for better leadership. 
Okay, well, we're going to take our first short break um, in our conversation, uh, Danny, and um, I want to talk some more about it, and and we'll be right back. Um, you're listening to Collections by Michelle Brown. Our guest today is Danny Woods, who is the community liaison with the Detroit Police Department for the LGBT community and others. So we'll be right back. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. And we're back. You know, Danny, back, I mean, you know, in 2004, um, I have, actually, I've had, I have a lot of friends who live in D.C. And mm-hmm. back in 2004, when Wanda Alston was murdered, and she had been, in fact, she was murdered in 2005, but in 2004, um, she had been like the acting director of the D.C. Office of Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, and Transgender Affairs. And that was, I mean, from that, they, you know, out of that came their LGBT liaison. They did a lot of police training and things like that. And back about the time that she got murdered, and I remember coming back and talking to some people who were here and saying, you know, where are we with this? You know, and and what are we, you know, and especially the work that came out of that, that effort. And it just sort of seemed like it was like lukewarm at best. I mean, we had a lot of lip service, you know, mm-hmm. from the different administrations. Mm-hmm. But do you feel that um, was – Chief Craig pivotal in making this difference to where what you're doing is the real deal, the real work? Absolutely. Um, This work is something that you have to want to do. And because I'm passionate about, uh, you know, my people, you know, be it women, LGBT, uh, just people, period, um, it holds it hold, it it kind of puts it on a different a, a pedestal all its own um the chief is very community oriented and uh the detroit police is very uh community oriented you know we have neighborhood police officers we partner with our citizens on several different projects there's always keeping the community um involved um when we look back at how uh what did you what did you call I'm trying to use the word that you said um between the relationship between uh DPD and the uh, LGBT community mm-hmm. um 
it was yeah, horrific. it was like lip service. It, yeah, mm-hmm. it, and, it, and it was horrific. And you can't imagine how underserved that community was. But now that they have a ear, a shoulder, you know, um, someone that they can talk to, someone that they know will take action, you know, the community has put a lot of um, confidence in me, and I hold that in my heart, and I never want to let them down. So when a situation presents itself, you know, I I go hard for it to make sure that they receive um, the utmost respect and the, um, uh, you know, just equality across the board with their complaint or case. Um, Officers now have opened up a bit more. And even for those who, you know, don't agree or still don't understand, they still call me and they still try and, you know, service the uh, member just, you know, just to make sure because they don't want anything coming back on them because I am a pit bull when it comes to treating my people wrong. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. um, the chief definitely um, sees to it that the needs of the community are met. You know, we have a uh, community chat every year, and even if he's not able to be present, you know, he still follows up. You know, he's been at uh, two of them, uh, and this will be our, I think, our fourth year doing it. And like I said, he he's, I, I couldn't, he's a great leader and uh, supportive of the community and ensuring that I have what I need, you know, uh, making sure that my bosses um, who are also very supportive, you know, and attend my events and, you know, my partners. It's just it's almost like a little family within a family. Um, And they want to see things done right, and they want to see people treated fairly. So um, in comparison to other departments, you know, of course I'm biased because I'm, I'm Detroit, but uh, we're doing we're doing big things here, you know, and constantly keeping the community um, held at a high standard and getting them involved. A lot of people don't understand what difference they make mm-hmm. when they, you know, contribute to a cause. You know, numbers speak volumes, and if you're serious about something, you know, when you go to support and you can show other people that this is, you know, this is serious. You know, people tend to pay a bit more attention to you. So, um, you know, the Detroit Police Department is is really striving to be um, a trailblazer in in every facet of policing, especially when it comes to the LGBT community. Have you had the opportunity to network with or even talk about best practices with other people in similar positions as yours in other cities? Yes. they. You know what? I actually um, have other cities reach out to me to obtain training um, mm-hmm. or to sit with them on panels or even to just come, you know, and sit in on a meeting and offer, you know, some kind of guidance or um, an opinion in a case, you know, and it goes as far up the chain as the Department of Justice and the FBI. You know, we have a really great working relationship. And to know that, um, you know, they're making every effort to be inclusive, not to say that they weren't, 
but mm-hmm. they're really putting it out here now like hey mm-hmm. we're we're you know we're supportive as well so it sheds a better light on law enforcement um i can't say that you know everything is perfect now because we both mm-hmm. know that it's not um but the fact that these conversations are being had and these meetings are taking place and people are um coming out of the woodwork to help you know the cause it speaks volumes well you know one of the things um i had talked to um uh, Mayor Coulter of Ferndale, and one of the things that he had talked about uh, was like preparing his community. You know, like he said, like he looked at things like it had happened, like in Ferguson, mm-hmm. and and he said, like he knew that they didn't have those kind of problems, but they weren't prepared to do it. And he talked about the need to have some type of brainstorming so that people were more aware. And I think, and I wonder, like. I mean, I could see the benefit of you coming from Detroit, but we don't have like a really, we don't have like a boys' town like they have in Chicago. But mm-hmm. the, how important it would be to have someone like you from a, a Detroit type area sitting down with someone like from the Orlando area where mm-hmm. they had the Pulse incident, or from and with DC, which has a really uh, vibrant and big gay community, to have from all these different walks of life to sort of talk about best practices mm-hmm. um do you see that somewhere like perhaps like in those five years after you re you retire that you could see yourself being a consultant or putting together this type of best practices doing it so that big or small whether a consolidated gay community or people were all over that police officers in general would have a better understanding of terminology, the community, what was happening, what they were seeing? Absolutely. Um, you see, I found so, a new job for you. <laughs> but you know what? That's that's actually something I'm already considering. But even with having um, just a little over three years into uh, looking at retirement, I don't think that my work will be done. I really don't think that it will be done. Um, if I'm fortunate enough to still be in this position, um, I will continue on. And even if, you know, I have to do something else, you know, I would still have this as a passion of mine. So that that's already on the table. Um, but just like uh, you said, being prepared. And because we have this um, tense uh, relationship, which is on the come up, but still a little tense. Um, we have to have the community meet us halfway. So we did a, a active shooter training at uh, Affirmations, um, which is a center in um, Ferndale for mm-hmm. uh, the community. We did an active shooter training there, and the uh, facilitator of the training, who was a sergeant, um, did a phenomenal job, and um, U.S. Attorney, well, former U.S. Attorney Barb McQuaid and her team were there. Um, representatives from Equality Michigan and LGBT Detroit were also in attendance, and Ruth Ellis were, you know, just different mm-hmm. people from the community, and and almost like a train the trainer type uh, thing. And we offer this training to the community. We offer, you know, the unit I work in now, we do everything community, and we do safety training and neighborhood training and things of that nature to where um, 
the community can be put on notice and and be prepared, like you said, you know, for uh, situations that may occur. You know, people don't understand that when you have a leg up on something, you know, you could possibly save your life or the life of someone else just knowing certain things. But, you know, sometimes our community, or I'll say sometimes our community members, are still not ready for, you know, to come to the Mm -hmm. table with that. But we do have community leaders that kind of put the push on it and say, hey, you know, if we want to survive this thing, we have to work together. And that's the thing we do. We we have to work together. Um, You know, I, I understand the past and I respect it, and we have um, come to grow from it in a sense. But we can't waddle. We can't waddle and continue to live there because we won't be able to move forward. We won't be able to learn and create change if we just sit in the past. Um, From any walk of history, you know, like I said, I respect it, but, it's about creating change. It's about, you know, the future and, and making a difference. And I just think that with both parties coming to the table, we can do so much more together, you know, than than police being over here and the community being over there. Uh, you know, Danny, you know, you wear many hats. And in some ways, there's one part of you that's right in the heart of the storm when you stop and you look at you know the com you know you're at that storm even though like you're the community liaison for the lgbt community you're also an african-american and we Mm -hmm. know that Mm -hmm. you know there's a a, a intersectionality between when black lives are being Mm -hmm. taken that most of your trans murders are trans people of color Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, sometimes when you walk in there and you're talking to someone, you know, do you ever have like sometimes like there's a different conversation that you would have with a white gay community and with a black gay community because they can tell you that sometimes they they feel at risk just by being black. How do you... How do you put all that together? I mean, you know, it's like that, that sensitivity that you do have to recognize that mm-hmm. when you go and you sit with the kids at Ruth Ellis Center that, you know, mm-hmm. they are at high, a bigger threat than someone who maybe is, is coming in who came down from Motor City Pride, who's suburbanite, who might not get pulled over just because they're gay, whereas that same black person who would be driving down that street would be pulled over because they were black. How do you how do you stand in that you know go from your bigger thing and then go and step into that storm and speak to people of color and say I am here for you and I understand all of these targets that are on your back. Uh, well, it's definitely very hard um, because, you know, I still have community members that um, don't agree even with my position, you know, or don't even agree that, you know, um, African Americans should even be police officers, you know, and they mm-hmm. reference, you know, um, the slaves, you know, and how, um, you know, blacks were put in positions to help, you know, 
slave masters or you know to 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 catch other slaves that were on the run and i and I understand all of these things um I just kind of put my heart out there and I put myself out there and i I'm very transparent and I let them know how I can relate. You know, I didn't come from, you know, the suburbs with this uh, silver spoon lifestyle. You know, it was a struggle for me too, you know. Mm-hmm. And although, you know, we may identify differently, um, the, found, the foundation is the same. And when we're talking about equality and respect and um, understanding, we all have to give a little bit. And even with... Uh, the unfortunate incidents that are occurring against um, our trans sisters, you know, we have to come together to devise a plan on how we can um, try and drive some resources for the girls so that they don't have to engage in sex work, so that they don't have to um, do things that, for lack of a better uh, scenario, kind of put them in danger because uh, it is a, what do you say, Uh, some stuff kind of goes with the territory and some activities, you know, make you almost fall, I don't want to say no, I'm not going to say that. It just it it could just really put you in a compromising position. Mm-hmm. And even with being in that compromising position, if something happens to you, you are still a victim and uh, or a survivor. And you have to stand up for your sister and our sister, you know, so that it doesn't happen to her. But when we just kind of brush it off or complain about, Nobody's going to do anything anyway, so I'm not going to say nothing. This person is still out here doing this. Mm. And so it, it's it's a harm for every, it's, it's a disservice to everybody. So we have to work together. So when I enter that room and these circumstances are on the table, I really do try and do everything that I can and offer as much as I can. But, again, it takes the community as well. I don't think I have ever in my life seen as many activists and advocates for the community um, as I see right now. And with all of these people speaking out and um, trying to make a difference, we have to work together to make this difference because it's not going to just happen in one little hub. And talking about stuff, you know, amongst your own, it it does nothing it's just conversation, but when you can bring other entities to the table and people can begin to brainstorm and maybe they may have a resource and because you have a plan, we can create something great together. And that's the thing, it's, it's the togetherness. And even when people are reluctant, sometimes you still got to try. Sometimes you got to step out on faith and you never know what could could transpire from that, but we we have we have to meet each other halfway. You know, I think that you know, you are one of those people. You know how my grandmother would often talk about people how someone had to be the better person, mm-hmm. and I mean clearly, like you said, you weren't born with a silver spoon. You have seen a lot of these things and and have 
thrive despite it. And so there is a way that, like you said, you can go talk to the sisters who are engaged in activities that could, that could put them at risk. And then you can go talk to other ones, but then you can sort of like, you know, talk to everyone and sort of say, but no one has the right to die. Exactly. No one should be victimized. And it just sort of seems like there is a way that you were put in this role to bring this, because I could see where if I am doing something that, you know, I know that I might not feel comfortable going out to affirmations to talk about what I need to do just to pay my bills or that maybe I am down and out, that I could talk to someone. Here is someone who is from the east side who went and said, well, where's your family? And you talk about, you know, your family is here and being supportive and bringing resources. And sometimes the resources is right there, but I need an ambassador. And I can see where you are that ambassador because, yes, you're, you know, you're in your uniform, but you've got that own special spark that says, you are accessible, and that you aren't just doing a job, that you, mm-hmm. are, you are for real about this. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very passionate because I, I, I know what a lot of things are like. You know, despite popular belief, you know, people think that, you know, officers go home and plug themselves up and hang themselves on a hanger in a closet and then get up and do it all again tomorrow. But... I'm so passionate about this work, and if I can make a difference in one person's life, that's a start. I'm not going to say that's all that matters. It's a start. And I I appreciate, you know, being called an ambassador, but I just feel like I'm really just doing my part. We all have a role. That's actually the theme for my um, chat this year. What is your role? You know, we have a lot of people in the community that like to point fingers um, Mm. and say what you're not doing or you're doing too much of this or you need to be doing that. But what are you doing? Because Mm -hmm. all of these people, like even you, you know, having me on your show, and I really thank you and I appreciate you again for this platform, um, you're doing your part you know, and getting messages out here and, have you know, creating um, a, a source of information. You know, this is something that somebody else can refer back to and use, you know, to help them out, you know, and the different areas and things that you hit because I do listen to you. Um, <laughs> it's, I do. It, you know, it, it's important. You know, everybody has a role. Now, whether or not you step up to the plate, now, that's on you, but it's really hard to tell somebody what they're not doing when you're not helping at all. So mm-hmm. I just feel like I'm doing my part, and I don't know if I was still on patrol or still working uh, vice or narcotics, where my head would be right now. Um, but there is a part of me that thinks that this is what I was supposed to do. I tell my wife often, well, I used to, I said, I wonder what I'm supposed to do. I know I have this thing about making people smile and laugh, but I feel like I'm supposed to do more. I feel like I'm supposed to do more. And so as I got deeper and deeper into this work, I'm like, I think I found it. Well, you know, uh, before we go into the next week, I'm going to tell you this. What you're doing, even if it is that smile and that making people doing it and walking that walk, I often tell people, you never know. 
there is that person. There is that little girl on the east side. There is that person who didn't know, who, who might have said, I never knew a black person or, mm-hmm. or I don't trust police people. Mm-hmm. And just by walking your walk, you never know how often that touches someone who makes them say, you know, sitting back here on the sidelines saying, all police are bad, don't nobody care about us, or there's no hope, mm-hmm. or there's no sense of a community, that might be just the thing that will light their fuse and help them get off their butt and do something. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and, and so really, that's why, that's why we do what we do, because, you know, as I said, you have to let your light shine, and you don't know where that beam is going to fall. And so I think that's what you do. Well, we're going to take our second break, and um, I'm really enjoying talking to you, Danny. So we'll be uh-huh. right back here on Collections by Michelle Brown with our guest, Danny Woods. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. And we're back. You know, I often tell people never underestimate your power and um and that's what i and and that's the whole purpose of this because everybody doesn't have to do what you did everybody doesn't have to do the other thing you know what another person does but never underestimate your power and like you said you have to do something yeah mm-hmm. um uh we had i don't know if you heard um we had one guest who was on who was like she lived in flint and she said well she was just trying to raise a thousand dollars to buy a pallet of water Wow. And she ended up raising over sixty thousand. Wow! <laughs> and going wow! Into, you know, being able to go into houses where people wouldn't open the door mm-hmm. for for regular official-looking people because something wasn't quite right. And you know, and it's like you don't know. You know, you don't know. And she was saying how at one point a little four-year-old came up and just hugged her. And, and, you know, and it's like, I said, well, you, for all you know, that kid can be maybe that will grow up and be the one who finds a cure for lead poisoning or will just go out and do something above and beyond what they were going to do because somebody came into their community and did it. Mm-hmm. You know, your family, even though you went from, you know, had that time and you went for a different family, your family seems really close to you. You talked about how you still talk to your, to your father, your wife. Your wife is also in the department. Um, Okay, I mean, you know, when you said, I'm going to go do this, you know, was it like, you're going to do what? (laughs) Uh, How supportive is that relationship and how, how, how important is it? Well, you know, what's funny is, She's probably, well, she, she's often surprised by a new venture that I'm seeking because I'm always doing something. Uh, <laughs> she retired from um, DPD, from homicide, um, in September of last year, but she just can't seem to sit down. So she now works for um, Kim Worthy's office in the prosecutor's office um, as an uh, investigative detective. And... 
she often um, lifts my spirits because a lot of times people think that I don't have feelings, you know, and they can just say or do or whatever, you know, and she she's really my rock, you know. She keeps me um, – she she always gives me a different perspective. Um, and, and like I said, the, the support couldn't be greater. Um, she's with me when I'm going through, you know, and trying to figure out um, how can I help this person. I mean, she, you know, I get the eye roll and the, and the sighs when my phone rings at 3 in the morning or if we're out to dinner mm-hmm. and i got to take this call um, because I care. Mm-hmm. And she knows that. And she knows my heart, and she knows that I have a job to do. And just like with her, you know, when she worked at Homicide, it was the same thing. You know, I used to often fuss at her, like, you're married to Homicide, not me, you know. But but she gets it now because even with my schedule being as hectic as it is, you know, she just looks and she's like, okay, I I see what you meant. So um, there's a lot of give and take, you know, but there's also a lot of compromise. So she she's very supportive, as is my family. You know, um, my mother and I, we talk. Um, if we don't talk every day, we're texting something crazy or, you know, hanging out. She's actually very involved with a lot of the work that I do. She's an ally to the community, um, she helps me at my trainings, and mm-hmm. she's gotten so involved with uh, my unit. You know, we should make her an honorary officer. You know, because she, she's oh, that's just, yeah, she she's busy. You know, she went to our Citizens Police Academy, and she volunteers. You know, she's she's just awesome. You know, I couldn't ask for you know, a, a better mom. You know, and then I have several moms in the community that have just adopted me and you know my bosses are awesome my partners are awesome it's just a lot of love and support and when we talk about family my wife and I often um, you know we pray together but we often talk about how fortunate we are to have two supportive families you know when you have a blended family sometimes you don't know what you're going to get but our families are very supportive, and my family loves her as much as uh, her family loves me. Mm-hmm. And it's just, now, it's, it's really great. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, um, I've often told people, like, the change, you know, everyone wants to look at Washington or whatever and say, like, oh, and if this would happen. But the real change happens in our community. Mm-hmm. And it happens when you see, you know, like your mom is a part of the unit and your wife is right there. And you know that some of those people, do you ever, have you ever had the sense that some of those people, when you first started doing that, who might have been resistant to you? because you're black, you're a woman, and you're gay, that now you have moved, maybe not changed their hearts and mind, but you've moved their hearts and mind in a way that's more uh, loving, welcoming, and inclusive. Oh, absolutely. And you know what's funny? A lot, we, we get that a lot. You know, even like a lot of our male partners will say like, I never understood or I never gave it a second thought. I never even wanted to think about it. But you really made me think. You really made me change my way of dealing or, you know, interacting. 
the response is surprisingly positive and overwhelming in a positive way. You know, never in a million years had I even thought that just even being married to my wife, you know, her partners, my partners, they're like, yeah, bring your wife. And it's not mm. even a second thought. It's not like, ooh, uh, do we want to invite them because, you know, they're that way or however they classify us. You know, it's never that. It's like, hey, yep, and bring your wife. And it's nothing, you know, even when we have um, stuff with our union, they're like, hey, are you going to bring your wife? It's, it's respect. And, you know, I eat it up and I love it because these are the same people that if you even mention the word gay, you know, they wouldn't look you in the eye, they look down, they walk away fast, you know, they didn't want to be part of that conversation. And now that's what it is, it's conversation. It's just like saying picnic or house shoe or TV, you know, they're fine. Mm-hmm. And I love it. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, now that, you know, we're in a different time. And mm-hmm. uh, politically, I mean, you know, you find people who feel emboldened to say and do things that they never would have done before. Um, you have a lot of doubt and concern and fear. I know that I think that a lot of what I, I hear from people sometimes is is fear of the unknown or of going backwards. Um, but yet when you walk in, you must hold your head up high and in a way sort of point the way of sort of saying like, but it's going to be all right. And you look in Detroit and, you know, and you see people and people are talking about gentrification. And Mm -hmm. I know that in Houston, um, the people are talking about a gay neighborhood. And I know in Houston, when there was an area that they had had gentrification and people um, hung their gay flags and soon there was this, this war and a lot of people have, a lot of concerns about gentrification. They, they see gentrification as being often white gay people moving in and, and pushing black people out. What do you see your role? And as you look at Detroit, what do you see the future and the possibilities of Detroit? And what do you hope by your presence as this, this community liaison, bringing people together, that, that, that you can help move it in what direction? Um. Getting involved and uh, speaking out. You know, people don't understand that everything starts at the local level. You know, people think that, um, you know, my, you know, my son was wrong, wrongfully convicted and this judge has wrongfully convicted several other people. How did they get there? You have to be present. You have to get active. You have to get involved. Um, Detroit is an inclusive city. Um, we raised the pride flag, and it's been uh, down in Hart Plaza all month, you know, in, in the um, spirit of pride, you know, June being pride month. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I see people really stepping out, stepping out on faith and and getting involved. Um, So many opportunities are now here in Detroit, and so many things are popping up every time you you, you look around. Um, I say to my people, get those newspapers, go online, find out what's going on in your neighborhood, organize, you know, 
do something, you know, get involved, you know, to you can't criticize change if you're not even trying to do anything about it. And when you talk about people moving in, you know, you have to do your research too. You know, if you have a neighborhood that has looked like a war zone for 40 years and somebody comes in and says, hey, I'm going to buy this and do something with it, you can't be mad. Mm. You can't be mad because what have you been doing for those 40 years in trying to do something with this, this property or this piece of land or whatever it is? What have you been doing? If you haven't been doing anything, it's really hard to fault somebody for saying, hey, I see it and I'm going to do something with it. You can't be mad at that. You know, and I know everybody doesn't agree with me, and that's okay. You know, that's why we have conversations, so we can kind mm-hmm. of meet each other halfway. But I will say that, um, you know, I see Detroit uh, being a um, – beacon of light on the map now, Um, you know, even with the reports we get, oh, yeah, Detroit is the worst city to live in. It's so violent. It's this and that. You know, if you're a Detroiter, you understand the culture not to definitely not to uh, condone any, you know, wrongful behavior, but there's just a way in which you kind of conduct yourself and, you just kind of know, you know, like you can go anywhere in the world, and when you say I'm from Detroit, you get mad respect, which is so funny to me. You get, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. You, get you get mad respect. Uh, but as a Detroiter, to have pride in your city and pride in what's going on in your city and pride in your people and pride in helping to take care and make it better, that to me that speaks volumes. To let everybody know that they matter and that they're just as important as the next person, to step outside of yourself sometimes and see the bigger picture and see that it's not always about you, mm-hmm. you know, that it's about other people. You know, to me, that that's what speaks volumes. I have to be strong for a lot of people. So you don't really get to see me in a, a downward spiral, but it happens. But I still have a role. I still have a job to do. And I have to be strong for for my lesbians, for my um LGBTQIA people, you know, I still I still mm-hmm. have a role, you know, for the community, for just for every I have a role and a responsibility and I'm under a microscope. Every little thing that I do, every little thing that I say, and I'm not perfect, and I don't claim to be, but I'm trying, and I'm doing something. So I'm always uh, encouraging people, get involved, do something, mm-hmm. be a part of something. You know, one of the things that, um, again, about you, which I, uh, which I also want to tell people, you know, we often, sometimes we want to look at someone through one lens. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we look at ourselves just through one lens. Mm-hmm. But there were a lot of things that made you the woman that you are. And how do you feel that all of these intersections, you know, from being the child of the East Side, from going through, you know, family issues that families have but still overcoming it, you're a wife. You've been a police officer. Um, you, you've been a student and are a student. How do you feel that these intersections influence your life, have impacted the directions you've taken, and how do you think it's going to impact what you do in the future? 
Um, I think it's my fuel to keep going. Mm. I think it's my fuel to keep going. You know, I I, w- I want to definitely rest, you know, but mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. It, it's my fuel to keep going. Um, and I take from every situation a learning experience. I don't care if I'm making copies. I bet I learned something new on that machine right then. You know, nothing um, I do is pointless. And I try to make sure that I live by that. Everything that I do matters. Everything that I do has a point, and it keeps me going. It keeps me motivated. Um, when I have people reach out to me for whatever reason, you know, I, I want to help you, but I want to help you help yourself as well. You know, I want to help you to be a driving force, you know. So it's, it, it keeps me moving. It keeps me. It's, it's my fuel. Well, you know, Danny, um I think that you are really one of the bright gems in our community. I'm glad that you recognize that sometimes you get tired um, because I know you work hard. But I think that when I think of you, even though I have seen you when you're working and you work hard, but at some point you take a moment and give people that smile. And it is so genuine and so real that, like I, like I was saying, you know, like in all these turbulent times, it's like, okay, we're going to get through this. Well, this is going to be all right, you know. Mm-hmm. We're working on this. And also that there is a place for everyone at this table. You're not saying, oh, it has to be this way, that way, or the other way. It's not just Danny's way. It's Danny is making a our way. And um, I applaud you and I thank you for the work that you're doing in our community and the initiative you take. Um, So what's coming up in the near future for you and for the community? Okay, well, you know, we just had Motor City Pride, which was a great success. Mm -hmm. Um, We're coming up on um, Hotter Than July and their theme this year is I Am Because We Are, which I'm really excited about. Uh, I'm actually uh, speaking at the Candlelight Vigil this year, so I'm really excited about that. We know Hotter Than July is a week long of activities. Um, then we have uh, my uh, annual LGBT community chat, which is going to be August 9th this year. It's the second Wednesday in August at 6 p.m. at Palmer Park, and um, we're going to get together and, uh, you know, do some Q&A and have some conversation and go back to the drawing board and figure out how we can better serve the community. So I'm really excited about those uh, two events. And then um, the unit that I work in, you know, we like I said, we do everything community, and nobody is um, counted out. You know, we have our uh, Detroit Youth uh, Power Fest, which is uh, going to be at Shane Park on July 27th, which is really huge. Um, and we also have our police field day, which is August 12th. You know, it's just a lot of things going on. Mm-hmm. And I'm always encouraging the community, come out. Come be a part mm-hmm. of it. Come see what's going on. You know, the park is fun. The park is fine. That's where we uh, congregate. But it's more going on. You know, we got we to gotta get out of these hubs. We have to begin to interact and stop 
segregating ourselves sometimes, you know. Sometimes mm-hmm. we put ourselves in the box. But uh, those are just a few things. You know, I have my uh, uh, LGBT liaison page on Facebook where people can find out what's going on. And um, is it just and is it just that? Is it like is it, no? So it's um, it's Detroit Police Department LGBTQ liaison. <laughs> okay, oh, that's all right. That's all right. And I'm going to make really sure to share is. that with, uh, with with people too. And um, do you have a do you keep is all of this a lot of this stuff that's on there is on that Facebook page? Yes, yes, and um, I continue. I have I manage it myself, so I'm always mm-hmm. posting up, you know, what's coming next, um, you know, so to get the community involved and let people know what's going on and how they can be involved. We have mm-hmm. um, the LGBT advisory board, and from that we stemmed LGBT action teams to get uh, community involved. And again, you know, it's not just all LGBT people. We have allies on the um, on the teams and on the board, you know, to you know bring another facet of uh, community to the table. So just getting people involved, be surprised. Mm-hmm. So what if people want to? reach out to you, um, mm-hmm. maybe to have you come speak at their community, talk to it, um, or just plug in. What's the best way for them to do that? Um, well, they can reach me by email at woods, by my last mm-hmm. name, woods, D is in Danny, 668 at gov. Um, they can reach out to me on Facebook, um, my uh, Detroit Police Department LGBTQ liaison page, or they can call me, uh, 313-596-1023. Okay. Well, Danny, it has been a, a pleasure talking to you. Um, like I said, I watch what you do. I see what you do. Um, I just sort of see you not only as a, as a resource for this city, but, I mean, nationally, I can see – we all have to work together because we have a mobile society. I have friends who who have come from here to California, to Ohio. I saw some people who were just up here last weekend from Ohio, and they went, wow, look at Detroit. So, I mean, I think that you're really a great resource. And, um, again, I appreciate all that you do in our community. And um, on behalf of a grateful community, we thank you for your service to us. And, Take care of you. <laughs> yeah, take care of you and know that also you have a community behind you that on those days, if you ever need a hug, you know there's somebody around, just around the corner who's willing to give you a hug. You've got oh, lots of friends and family in our community, and we love you. Oh, and I love you right back. <laughs> well, Danny, thank you again. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to be with me today. Thank you for having me. Okay, well, thank you, Danny. So that we have come to the end of another episode of Collections by Michelle Brown. Our special guest today was Officer Danielle Woods, uh, Danny. Um, she gave a lot of information on how to reach her. I will post that when I post the show. I hope that you will give her a hug if you see her out there at Hotter in July or any one of these. And please come out and be a part of the of a conversation. It's not only the part of the conversation, but part of the actions that we do. 
which are really the solutions and how we can be the change that we want to see in our community. So you can listen to Collections by Michelle Brown every Thursday. We're on Blog Talk Radio. You can also follow the podcast on Stitchers, iTunes, and SoundCloud. And be sure and like my Facebook page, Collections by Michelle Brown, so you always know what's going on and can follow up on the links to these amazing people who we're talking to. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual who's living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. That's right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you and have a great day.